Hey there, thanks for coming. Before we get started, just a few reminders. You can sign up for text alerts from me, Big Mama. You'll get insider text before anyone else with invitations to be a guest on the podcast. New episode releases, secret merch drops. Just text the word JOIN to 332-244-6262. Remember, you have to be at least 13 years old to join the text list. Have you already left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? No? What are you waiting for? Five-star reviews, especially with a comment, help the podcast to be found by other people. So do it now. Like, right now. Okay? Now. Hey, we're on the search for podcast guests. If you're a student, seventh grade or higher, who has ever seen, I don't know, some sus, moist behavior on Roblox or Discord, because, hey, who hasn't? Let us know. If we use your story in an episode, you'll get some merch. And don't worry, we'll never, ever, ever, ever use your real name or any other detail which might reveal your identity, because we're not idiots. You can either leave a voicemail at 332-244-6262 or email a voice memo to guests at bigmamashousepodcast.com. Thanks. episode of Big Mama's House podcast has been brought to you ad-free by our fans. If you would like to learn more about supporting this podcast and this topic, visit www.patreon.com forward slash Big Mama's House. Hey, welcome back to Big Mama's House podcast. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you all for just a quick little favor. Can you please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? It only takes a couple of clicks, and here's why. Almost every other podcast network uses Apple ratings, and your five-star review would make a huge difference to how we're ranked. You don't even have to use Apple Podcasts to leave a review. Thanks so much. This is Season 1, Episode 6, Part 2, When Schools Overshare, One Principal's Perspective. If you haven't listened to episode five, part one of the series, that's okay. You don't need to hear them in order, but you should listen to them both anyhow, because it's the same topic. In episode five, we talked at length about how schools are legally mandated to protect your child's privacy and data, and that discussion was from the perspective of the law. In this episode, we're taking the perspective of the school. We're going to be joined by the principal of a private school who will share the implication of data privacy laws amid the stay-at-home order her concern for the mental health of her students, her advice to fellow school administrators, and much more. I'm glad you're here. We have a lot to get through, so let's get to it. Next, we're uh, gonna welcome on to our show someone who's become a friend. I hate to say old friend because I think that says something about the two of us, but her name is Isadora, <laughs> not her real name. And she's a principal at a private school. She's been a principal for 14 years in the Midwest. And we met because Isadora hired me to come and do some presentations at her school. So we have a little bit of history. And so when I have questions that need to be answered, I like to go to people who I know uh, I can trust their opinion because they'll tell me the truth. So. Isadora, welcome um, onto the podcast. I was so excited to have you as one of our first, actually, 
Yeah, you are the first school administrator on the show. So I think, I don't know if you get a special badge for that or something. But I'm looking forward to that special badge. A special yes. badge. Okay, excellent. Yes. I'll have to now, I'll <laughs> add that to the to-do list. Okay, so this episode is about how the pandemic has impacted schools through the lens of we want kids to engage with their friends. We want kids to engage with their teachers. We don't want the educational value to suffer. You know, there's a lot of things in play. And before I even let you answer, I'm going to say schools already have too many things to do between lice checks and, you know, so many schools that actually do the kids laundry because their clothing's just dirty or provide meals at the risk of sounding like, you know, we're complaining. That's not, that's not this. I'm just so concerned about the safety of the kids that I'm looking at this through the lens of what's the law, right? We can't forget about the law and how are we going wrong in that? So I know that you know what COPA is very well. I don't have to tell you what that is. When you saw what I put up on Facebook about schools that had said to elementary school kids, hey, take a video of yourself in your school shirt and, you know, hashtag it Maple Elementary Spirit Week. What did, what did you think of that? Well, I certainly didn't agree with it because, because you've been to our school and you've told us how people can, you know, just find, find kids that way. So when it came to doing a Spirit Week at, at our school, we just had the kids don their shirts, but just send it as a picture to me right? so that it could be included in our yearbook because we still have to do a yearbook. We're missing all our end of the year events, right. but we still want you know pictures of them and what they're doing at home during this pandemic. So I uh, want them to participate and still feel a, a closeness and connection to our school in that way, but not putting it up for the whole world. Right. And, and when you say send it to you, that was via email? Oh, sure. To my school email. Okay. And then how did you communicate that to the parents? Like, how did they find out about that effort? So through a bulk email system that we use for just all dissemination of information. Got it. And, and I don't necessarily hate, well, I hate Facebook, but I don't necessarily (laughs) hate Facebook for a school. I mean, it all depends on the how, right? The devil's in the details like anything else. But have you found, do you, I don't remember, do you guys have a Facebook page? We do, but we don't really use it very well. But our parent teacher union has a Facebook page, but it's also a closed group, which means something, but not that much, you know, because people could copy anything and post it somewhere else. Well, but it's far better than just open to the public. I mean, at least then, at least then, you know, who your players are. It's like, you know, murder on the Orient Express, you know, who was (laughs) on the train. Okay. Tell me what your school has done that you think has been really successful in terms of engaging kids. We're just trying so hard to help them with their their mental health because this has, I think, impacted them more than anything as far as connecting with people. We know that we're made for the other and to not have the other, whether it's friends or teachers, it's it's disheartening. So as many assignments that we can send home, it's there's that other part that we are not able to influence as much as we'd like to. You know, Zoom meetings are great. Of course, we're only sending that through emails to parents, not, you know, posting any kind of, even not even on our 
school website. It's only two parents, but sending out assignments is one thing, but really just trying to connect. So we've done a lot of Zoom meetings and we're using all the precautions that Zoom has. I was on one with the preschool today, three-year-olds. It was, it was a, it was such a blessing for them to see each other. They were so cute and, you know, them to see their teacher. And one of the little girls uh, had said during the, the talk, that she's had to stay home for years because of the germs and I want the germs to go away. So just. That is so sweet. Just being able to hear their voices, that kind of connection. It's the, it's the best that we can do. Right. And, and have you seen kids suffer? Like, have you seen circumstances where parents have let you know, or, or that it's come to your attention that you have kids and maybe those kids were already on your radar before as being at risk, but how are you handling that, if at all? Well, that's a great question. So the first couple week, week and a half before we were told we weren't allowed to come to school, we had the ability to come and drop off work and get new work, right. that kind of thing. And had parents tell me, and I actually saw the one student, you know, this is terrible for her. And she just looks so sad. When I sent out an email to the parents just to check in, how you doing, what's working, what's not working. Do you want our school counselor to contact you or right. talk to your child? And a couple responded, could you please have her contact my child or contact me because it's really impacting them. So we're trying to reach out in that way. Uh, she's also done some Zoom counseling with parents and kids. That's great. What a, what a wonderful resource to have, mm-hmm. especially that it's someone that the child is familiar with and comfortable with. It's not going to sure. be weird that it's somebody new or whatever. That's great. And and have you been able to offer your parents resources or suggestions? Like, are there things that you have had on hand? Because I always wonder what kind of resources are out there from the viewpoint of an educator that you can give to parents that you haven't necessarily written that have been provided to you or you've seen about on the mental health issue? I actually have not. Really just, no. Okay, because uh, maybe I'll try to find some stuff, see if it's helpful to other families and kids and and students. Actually, I take that back. There was a great article that I did send out to the parents, and it was about telling them that what they're feeling is grief. Right. And it talked about all the five stages of grief and how what they and their children are going through is a grieving process to grieve your friends, to grieve your school, to grieve your teachers. Can you get me the name of that article and I'll sure. list it in the liner notes? Cause I think that'd be mm-hmm. a great resource. Surprisingly, that article was from the Harvard Business Review. I just got this month's issue of the Atlantic and the front cover, I haven't read the article yet, but you might want to look it up. It looks like a kid has scribbled in crayon all over the cover. It's about anxiety as related to coronavirus. So I will Mm -hmm. also add that in the liner notes too. My one suggestion for parents on the anxiety front is something that I do for myself because I'm, I have huge goblins in my head. I've actually done this with my kids and suggested to other kids and they've said that it worked. Before you go to bed at night, because that's when, you know, that's when you're not distracted. Yes. So before you go to bed at night, and whether you're a kid or an adult, and you're going to feel dumb doing this as an adult, but I promise you it works. Just take a piece of paper, 
and write down every single thing you're worried about, even the things that make no sense. I'm afraid that they're actually aliens on the inside of the toilet when I sit on it. I'm afraid that my son is going to get eaten by wolves. I'm afraid that whatever your fears are, it doesn't matter how dumb, how baseless, how ridiculous, how whatever, no one's going to read it but you. And if it's a kid, you can have them draw a picture of the things that they're afraid of, even if it makes no sense. And then you watch it get shredded or set on fire. Maybe don't show the fire to the preschoolers. They would dig that way too much. But, you know, uh, put it through the shredder, cut it up into little pieces, and then directly go to bed. And there's something that tricks your brain into feeling like you've handled it, right? Like I've taken care of that now. And you're going to start worrying about it again. It's not magical. You'll worry about it again tomorrow. But at the very least, before you go to bed and put your head down, it will make an enormous difference. And it sounds silly, but it 100% works. So that's my little low-tech contribution to the anxiety issue. Well, I would say that that makes so much sense because they always speak of journaling being a very important way of getting things out. So then to journal and then shred, that would absolutely make sense. Yeah, and then the kid doesn't have to feel like mom's going to read... You know, like it, no one's going to read it. That's not the point. Let's talk a little bit about the, the COPA piece. I'm envisioning in my head that at some point a teacher has come to you and said, hey, I've got a great idea for a project or I, and then with good intentions or I want to do this. And you have had to say, slow down because we're not allowed to do this or we can't do this or we can't. Have you caught any of those things in your net before they flew past you? Not that I can think of. We're pretty strict in our private school um, yeah. to, to following things and asking before we do it. So yeah. we, we're, we haven't. Ha- have you ever done stuff on social media? Like, hey, have you know parents post this on Facebook or Instagram? Have you done any of those social media-ish or or YouTube type of things? So actually there's one thing I'm kind of questioning uh, in my own self. So maybe you could provide me some insight. Um, Having the kids send a lot of pictures right now to the school. And then I'm I decided even before the yearbook comes out to put those pictures into a PowerPoint that was then changed into a YouTube and was put on our school website, which anyone can see. There's no names attached. And parents have said, given us permission at the beginning of the year that their kids could be on our school website. Um, again, no names attached. Um, but then sometimes I think, well, we're still identifying the school and there's still pictures of the kids. So is that something that's... Is it public on YouTube or no? No, just on our school website. Just on the school website. I think you made as many of the best choices in that scenario as you possibly could. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of okay with the YouTube video because you didn't name the kids. My big issue is when, let's say it's older kids and it's National Honor Society, first row, left to right, Betty Smith, Michael, you know what I mean? Like that's when it becomes a problem because I know that kid with that face is that name and that grade at that school and that, you know, like that's when you start layering the data. Exactly. That's when it becomes a problem. So random, cute little blonde girl, I, that's not really, I so appreciate the fact that you're worried about that. And I love that you're worried about it. I think that's probably fine. Yeah. Well, I also have like big mama voice in my head all the time stuff. I'm sorry. (laughs) I appreciate it. Uh, just did a, a video, just me for the first time, just talking to the parents again so they can hear voice, see face during this time and named one of my students. So we have this little 
mascot and the one kindergartner loved 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 it and so a video just me talking about that mascot I I did name the child but his picture wasn't there but I was like I need to do a new video and take that off I again I don't know sometimes I don't know if I'm way too extreme well you're talking to me so I don't think there's an extreme but (laughs) you have to consider the audience here right Uh, I don't think there is an extreme because just like I believe that anxiety is also a gift because I think it's your early warning detection system. It's your, you know, strong spidey senses. So all those parents with kids with anxiety, hey, those are not going to be the kids that submit to peer pressure first. They're going to see if anyone else dies when they jump off the cliff. What you're really engaging in is critical analysis. You're not just blindly going, no, no, you're actually trying to really critically analyze the data, the facts, and see what you come to. So I think you're doing a great job, and I think that that video is probably fine for all the reasons you said. It went straight to parents. It's not being publicized anywhere. You didn't give the kid's last name, I'm sure. What I see is so categorically different from what you just described. So let me just just tell you, you're going to feel like the best principal ever when I tell you this stuff. So I've seen schools, and again, some schools I've been to, so they have no excuse because they should have the big mama voice haunting Mm -hmm. them in their heads, Um, doing things like, hey, 11-year-old who shouldn't have social media at all, go on your Instagram account, which you should totally not in any way have in the first place, and take a video of yourself or picture of yourself wearing your pride wear clothing, and then post it on a public forum and then use the hashtag. I don't know how many parents really know what hashtags are, but it's basically like a file system. If you're as old as as Isadora and I are, we remember libraries with actual paper card catalogs where you would pull it out and find the thing on cats and find the five million. Well, that's kind of what a hashtag is, where if it says hashtag Maple Elementary Spirit Week, then that becomes clickable and anyone else who clicks on that Maple Elementary Spirit Week is going to see every image that anyone's posted with that hashtag. Not only am I seeing your child, but I'm seeing every other child associated with that child, with that school, with that, but just starts to compound. So when you compare that to your example you gave me of just using this child's first name on a private video, that's like, doesn't even rank with the most horrifying thing I've seen today. Uh, I know, but I always, you know, administration should always be so concerned about protecting the kids. Sometimes I think our parents think I'm a little crazy, again, big mama in my head, but I, well, I don't know how many times I've sent them an email telling them to make sure their kids don't have TikTok. I don't, I don't oh, know. Oh, I, I don't know if you saw what I posted on Facebook. Just, it, when you think it's bad enough, it just gets worse. And I don't understand what parents are waiting for. I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. Do you feel like you are uh, managing that CHIPA law? And so that CHIPA law, again, as a reminder, is the Children's Internet Protection Act, which in addition to COPA, any school that receives discounted rates, they're called E-rate 
funds, any school administrators that are listening, you have to be compliant with CHIPA. You have no choice. And so what CHIPA says is that you have to, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it badly, but I'll put it all in the liner notes, that you have to protect your students basically from themselves in a way of giving out information about themselves. You have to educate them on how not to do that. You have to create a network that notices that you're blocking those sites and you also have to be measuring performance. So how many administrators are really clear on CHIPA? No, I don't think I've even heard of that, but all the things that you're describing, I would say are probably internet user agreements that legal departments have come up with. So without naming it necessarily as CHIPA, I believe we're following all of those things better at school than we are able to at home when we give them those Chromebooks to take home, that, that trust level, that what they can do is, it becomes scary. I always worry about the dark spaces, the loopholes and the dark spaces in there. And so where Chippa can become really onerous and actually have a weird backlash thing because you're not going to let your kids go to that particular site, but it happens to be on National Geographic and it was an educational thing. So there's all kinds of issues with Chippa. Obviously, it's not foolproof and it causes a lot of headaches for schools, but I've seen personally schools not do almost any of these things. I hate to say it, but not even know they're meant to do these things. And so that's a breach of their legal policy, obviously, or or not having, I suppose, if they don't know it all. But I see this really pretty often. I would love to have schools, and this is a suggestion to you and to all school administrators, that on your, I'm guessing in your bulk email thing, you have some sort of a monthly template you use that one space is the principal's message. And I'm sure there's something that you use and reuse over again for those emails, right? On that document, I would love to see like a two inch by two inch graphic, maybe put it next to the menu because everybody looks at the menu page Mm -hmm. and say Maple Elementary community, just to be clear, the only way our teachers and staff are allowed to communicate with our students is A and B, right? So just so everybody knows, the only communication your child should be receiving from a member of this institution is either school email and or remind or whatever tool of choice you guys have have chosen, right? Right. Because then it removes that opportunity of weirdo moist guy in the basement who let's be honest is a teacher and a baker and a candlestick maker and a cop and a doctor a person's role or identity doesn't stop them from having a a proclivity to do harm to children just to do a hear ye hear ye to the community and say in case you didn't know in case parent who has more than one kid or has you know works two jobs and hasn't read the aup the you know the, the user agreement Just so you know, no one from this institution should be contacting your child unless it's one of these two things, because that's how kids get scammed and that's how parents get scammed. I was at a school where a teacher wanted to know why it wasn't okay that she was communicating with the kids on Snapchat. Like, you know, the kids thought it was cool. What do you think parents are doing well and not doing well? If you could, if you had a magic wand... She's smiling for the audience who can't see her. She's got a big old grin on her face. What would you wish parents would be doing differently, both right now because of tech or just in general? My mantra is always the parents are doing the best that they can with what they have. 
Yes. So whatever yes. their capability is, whatever their availability is, they're they are definitely doing the best. Yeah. Yes. Um, that being said, I think a lot of parents sometimes have their head in the sand when it comes to what their kids have on their phones, and they let them have phones too soon. I'm at a private elementary school, so really until they're in maybe the end of seventh grade, none of them should have a phone, but gosh, fourth graders do, and they have a lot. They know a lot, the kids do, and the parents are really unaware. I mean, when you came to our school, you scared the living daylights out of a half of the parents that were there because they didn't know the things that you were sharing with them, and their kids have had phones for you know a year, two years, three years. Okay, so let me stop yeah. you there because before we started talking, I actually pulled your file from the last time I was there. 55% of your fourth graders when I was there had phones and 88% of the fifth graders had phones. By the way, that's not to shame Isadora's school or children. This is the same everywhere. I mean, quite literally, those numbers are right in the middle of the bell curve for what I see. So when you've got 55% of fourth graders using cell phones, that means cell phone ownership is really beginning the second grade. That's a big part of the problem. You're right. What you just said was no phone, right? I may have to hire you. No phone. Well, just uh, the, the thing that one of the things that you've always said that sticks with me is there's, there's no way kids in elementary school are ever going to be someplace that they're not with an adult who has a phone, so they don't need one. Right. Why would you need to know where your kid is at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday? Like, exactly. if you don't know that, <laughs> exactly. the phone's not the biggest issue you've got, right? Right, right. Um, okay, that's really good advice. What about in connection to the, the stay-at-home order? Is there anything related to, and not to, not to criticize the parents at all, is there anything that you think no. that would just be helpful to, to parents? Just in using the internet in general, I would say they have to take frequent breaks because I feel one of my teachers says she's on computer overload right now. And she's, as the adult is saying that, so the kids can be overloaded because when they're in school and a physical school with us, we use technology to teach, of course, but in the sense of, the teacher's still there, your friends are still next to you. So now if you're just sitting and doing stuff on a computer, that can be very mentally taxing and not good for not good for you to not take breaks. So, you know, go outside or go read a book for an hour. Just do on some paper. sort of break. Exactly. And actually yeah, that's right. <laughs> Two of the things that that stuck out in what you just said, and I'll add these to the liner notes too for anyone who's interested. There is an absolute causal link that we know exists between time on devices and increased anxiety and increased depression. We know that for a fact. A lot of that research came from a brilliant researcher called Jean Twenge. I will put all of her stuff in the liner notes too, but you're not, as a parent, you're not imagining that your kids are droopy, emotionally droopy if they are because of the massive amount of time. You're not imagining that. And that goes for parents as well. Because it's very hard to manage a stressful situation if you are also feeling that way. Everyone needs to put their devices down. But did you want to say something about Jean Twenge? Because you looks no. like you lit up. Did you, she, have you read her stuff? Yes. She just, she wrote the book about the I generation. Yes. Yeah. I gen. So we did a whole study at, at, with my school on her and talking about the generation and, and how they're growing up differently than what we're used to and how to understand them. What I find really, really interesting is just the organic, actual changes that are happening in the brain. 
right? So it's all fun and games. And so you start seeing stuff on brain scans. That's what exactly. starts to scare me. That's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night, like not being funny or sarcastic, actually, that I worry that we may be raising a generation of children who don't know how to use maps. There are areas of the brain that are used heavily in mapping and for mapping skills. And so there are other things that those areas of the brain do. So if you remove mapping, if you remove mapping as a thing, nobody reads maps. You, you tell somebody, make a right at the light, and they look at you like you're crazy because they're just going to listen to what the box tells them. And I travel a ton for work, and I rely on that, on that GPS for sure. The point is that if we're not using our brain for mapping, just as one example, then what's happening to that area of the brain? We don't know. We don't know. Yeah, just as a side note, I would say I, I was always amazed my dad, who would have been 89 this year, he would, when we were going someplace, he would take out that map book and highlight things. And then right. he would just go and he would know how to get there. And I don't know if I, I don't even know if I can do that. So <laughs> I don't know how our kids are ever going to be able to do that. I think we've had the conversation about having read The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Okay, yeah. The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. I'll put that in the liner notes too. So that's another book study for your teachers, by the way, and for parents too. So in The Talent Code, Daniel Coyle goes over the neurological aspect of you become an expert at doing things, not because you were born with the art gene. When you do something a lot, myelin gets wrapped around those neurons. And so the thicker the myelin, the better you are at these things. Like if you cracked open Tiger Woods's head, which I'm sure his wife at the time would have loved to have done with right. the golf club, <laughs> you would have seen really thick myelin in whatever areas of the brain are muscle memory and whatever else makes sense. If we take that to the polar opposite, if we have no mapping, what does that mean? Those are the things that actually keep me up at night and why I have to make my list of, I'm afraid, I'm afraid kids are not going to learn how to map. I'm afraid I'm going to be eaten by goblins. Advice you have for schools who, for whatever reason, are finding it hard to manage this. As a school administrator, I'm not trying to lead your answer, although I know you, so I know where you're going to head. Some school administrators feel as much peer pressure by the sort of social construct as teenagers do. So like the teacher who wanted to do Snapchat for her class, I think that there are school administrators who want to do stuff that's cool to keep up with the Joneses within the school environment. Is there any advice you could give to those administrators of just how you make a decision or what hoops you jump through in your own head to make decisions about this kind of stuff? My pressure for that always just came back to this is how you could market your school because we're a private school. So I would, then I'd feel down on myself like, oh, but I don't have time to do this. And is it really the best thing to do? And then I would assign a teacher to do it. And I would notice that she's not doing it either. So that was fine because when it really comes down to it and when you really get back to the basics of it, it's not about how many likes you have on your Instagram pictures or your tweets or anything. It comes back down to relationships and what kind of relationships do you have with the parents of your school and who are they telling you know, about your school and what kinds of things are they saying? Again, we don't really use our social media and part of me feels bad because there's a lot of schools that have a lot of things posting out there. But when I come down to 
what's most important. It's really just about the other people that we are in relationship with. And that's not going to happen through a tweet or a Facebook post. You can like something and think a meme is funny and we do that. But um, I recommended to my teachers to not be friends with any of the parents. And most of them are not, or, you know, one or two, because they have kids in the same grade. Right. So that kind of happens. And then I know that I've told my teachers that they, they aren't allowed to take pictures of their students with their personal phone. Like that Ah. is not okay. We don't have permission to do that. We have permission to take pictures of their students with our school camera, like an actual real camera. Imagine that. And then take the SD card and download and make a yearbook, but you don't have permission to take the pictures of minors on your personal camera. You're not their parent. Well, and I have to tell you, I think you're the first administrator I've ever heard say that. Really? Honestly, I think that is, yeah, I think that may be the first time I've ever heard it segmented so specifically because under the guise of it's for school, a lot of damage has been done, right? Yeah, normalizing behavior. That's what you're talking about. Right? That would be one of those things that that would go in your little box box next to the next to the food schedule. The only pictures that should be taken of your kids, blah blah blah. Yeah, I I, I wonder how many school administrators are hearing this and cringing a little bit, or they ought to be, because mm-hmm. you're one hundred percent correct. Right, right. Um, I'm going to make a note about that. We've even gone so far as to tell parents who are chaperones on field trips that they can't take pictures of other kids. Other people's children. Because they don't have permission to do that. Take, Take the school camera. Right. And take the picture. But they, unless they have explicit permission from every single one. Yes. Right. They, they they don't have the right to do that. And sometimes they get mad at me and they think I'm like overprotective or they think I'm just too extreme and it doesn't matter. It's fine. I know these kids, I've known them for, you know, since they were babies and that's all true, but not on a school trip. If outside of it, you're with them and they say it's fine, but not on your watch. That's, not that, that's, exactly. that's, what, exactly. that's what can't happen. And, and you know, when, when you look at the percentage, something like over 70% of sexual predation cases that are from acquaintances, sure. right? Like far just eclipses the, the, the stranger. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's not to say that any of your parents are sexual predators. No, I don't think that. I don't think so either. Is there anything else that you would like to say to parents or schools or anything else that you think is germane to this or anything really? Well, really you talk about the things that keep you up at night. And, and one of the things that even when we're in school that I worry about is uh, the kids exposure to pornography. And now that they're home more and they're on the internet more and parents are, like I said, doing the best they can, but those things pop up and those kids through just natural inclination are going to see something and be like, what's that? And click on that and then start going into a place where they shouldn't be going for any age. And they, you know, it's such an addiction when the kids are in seventh, eighth grade going into high school. I talk about pornography with my students when we're at school. I talk about it with the parents. It's not a comfortable subject for a lot of people, but you have to make it comfortable because it's so important. And I'm just, that's one of my concerns now that they're so much online right now 
through schoolwork, take a little break, watch a couple YouTube videos over on the side is something that they shouldn't be clicking on and then they do. And we know that that first exposure to pornography is in old nine years old now. Yeah. So the time, the amount of time of idleness, this is summer times 10 to a power. I agree a hundred percent. Or the kids are, the kids are telling their parents because now they don't know what to do, but they're attracted to what this is on the screen. So they're telling their parents they're doing schoolwork and their parents are cooking dinner and doing something else. So they're trusting their child. And then the kids don't know what to do once they've been exposed to that and are interested and don't know why they know it's not something that's not good for them, but they don't know how to talk about it. And they certainly don't want to admit seeing this bad picture. So it's something parents really have to be aware of. Control it at school, but again, they're at home now for so long and they're using the nurse. Well, for anyone who's listening to the podcast who has not seen one of my presentations, I'll you know repeat some of what I say about um, the porn issue here, which is that Isadora is absolutely correct that the new age of onset of porn consumption is eight years old and the new age of onset of porn addiction 11 years old. Isadora's seen this close up, but, you know, I will have kids who come and tell me things that, you know, haven't told anyone else. And it's not because I'm magical. It's because I, the, the conversation approximates it close enough that then they're will, willing to sort of unburden themselves. And so the, at the slightest hint of being able to do that, they just brain dump. I, my absolute belief is that the average seventh or eighth grader has seen more porn than both of their parents put together times a number. And a different kind of porn. And a different kind of porn. And that's the joke, right? It's not Carlos the pool guy came over and things got crazy. Mm -hmm. Like that's like normal porn. Right. And I'm not trying to porn shame anybody. <laughs> exactly. Do your thing. I'm just saying in terms of your children, I don't think you want your kids, regardless of what you might be into as an adult, God bless, rock on. But in terms of your kids, I don't think you want them watching rape fantasy and graphic violence. I don't think you want them watching that because what ends up happening is that then that becomes part of their sexual identity, right? right. Like that's how they move forward through the world. And talk about shaping your brain. That is going to shape your brain. Oh, plus stimulating um, sexual desire. Like it's, it's stimulating so many parts of your organism that it then it just becomes a deeper, you know, addiction. It could be a whole other podcast with you there. Big it will be, it will okay. be many other podcasts, <laughs> but I did want to mention one thing that is specific to the stay at home order, which is that because we're all home or in most cases, both parents are home or, you know, you're constantly handing your device to your kid. You have to be cognizant of what you did on your phone. If you're an adult and you were just on Pornhub or whatever, you better know what's on your phone because there's a lot of hours to be spent. And if you are being careful that the kid doesn't have a phone, which is great, but then they're constantly playing on yours, which is an improvement from them having their own, but you forget what you just did. And even something much more benign than Pornhub, you're, you were watching Game of Thrones, which is my favorite all-time series, but half the time there's naked bits flying around, right? Like you didn't intend for the kid to see that, but you forget that you were on HBO Go, you hand it to the kid. So just be aware as a parent of what you were just doing on that phone before you hand it to your kid. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, I wouldn't even thought about that. So anything else you want to add or say or suggest or anything you've got on your mind that you can 
dump here? Oh, there's so much, but no. <laughs> we covered a lot of the things that I've been thinking of since, you know, I've joined your new podcast series. I'm really glad that you're doing that. I think people are taking a lot of walks these days and, you know, they yeah. can listen to, to this and go about everything they have to change in their homes. <laughs> right. I really believe that parents are doing the best they can. And one of the yes. things they can do to be the best they can is to, to listen to advice from someone like Big Mama who knows this world better than parents do. Just admit you don't know it and take the advice and protect your kids. I appreciate that. And also one of the things I find myself saying over and over again is parenting is hard, be kind to yourself. Absolutely. This whole process is hard. We're all screwing up. Mm -hmm. The schools are accidentally screwing up. Parents are accidentally screwing up. Kids are accidentally, we're all just doing the best we can. Right. And so you need to just give yourself a break. Don't be so hard on yourself. You screwed up so what? You, you just gotta keep moving. Exactly. Okay, we are going to end it there. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. We've covered a ton of content. And as always, the sources and references will be listed in the liner notes. If you're new to podcasts, the liner notes just means the description of the episode. Just go back to where you clicked on the episode, scroll down, and you'll see all the links and resources I've left there for you. If you're already a member of Big Mama's House, be sure to grab the fans-only download I've created just for you, which includes the cheat sheet, checklists, and more. Until next time, remember, parenting is hard. Be kind to yourself. This has been a Big Mama's House production, hosted by Jesse Weinberger. The outro music was written and mastered by Caleb Weinberger.